From Bureaucracy's Basement to your ears, this is the weekly meeting of the Queen City Improvement Bureau. Each week, the dedicated staff of the Bureau meet to file reports, make recommendations, and attempt to survive on water that drips from the boiler pipes in the back room into our open mouths as we sleep on a bed of dot matrix printer paper. One day, maybe, we'll escape from the hell that is the sub-sub-basement, but until that day comes, this city is not going to improve itself. So, here we stay, improving things. This meeting is now in session. Hello. Oh, hey. Uh, if improving things is our mandate, based off the things that have been happening lately, I'm beginning to wonder if perhaps we're failing. Well, I read, actually, um, while I was... I, I heard that there's a kind of uh, uh, municipal employee. They call them um, failures. And what they do is they don't want to do their job well. So they just like go through their lives, you know, offering useless solutions and never coming to any conclusions. Well, I feel seen. <laughs> me, me too. You know, even if we're going to fail, I think we should have a meeting anyways. I think so, because you never know when we might actually break through and uh, succeed at something. It could happen. Should we do attendance? Yes. Um, I, don't, I don't have my, um, you know, usually I have my, my clipboard. And yeah. often I, 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 I find that the people I want for the meeting aren't, aren't here. And it turns out to be us. Uh, I don't have my clipboard this week, and my memory is absolutely shot. So I, um, I, your name escapes me, as does mine. Uh, well, my name is Paul Deshay. You know, I'm going to make a note of that. Um, yeah. I mean, and I'm going to like not lose my notes this time. So Good. Dulce Peehan. That's close right. enough. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So Dulce Peehan, you're here. And I am. Um, you can just look at your name tag. So I'm upside down, Aiden Morgan. Mm-hmm. Huh. Although you yourself are right side up. Oh, so it's my name tag that is upside down. Yeah. Or okay, fair enough. Actually, if my name tag were upside down, I could see my name right side up. That there's something weird going on. I'll get to the bottom of it. I think you've just found an improvement. I think so. Upside down name tags, or reoriented yeah. name tags for the entire city. Yeah. So we Not all know just who we are. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. We would be like enabling self-actualization by giving people a, a, an upside down name tag. Nice. Yeah. I'm for it. Well, is our, is our meeting in order now? Uh, yeah, we got, we got our meeting going. Sorry. The, yeah. We're, do, do we have quorum? We don't have quorum. Oh, Never. you know, one day, one day we'll have yeah. quorum. I'm sorry. I'm a little down. Why, 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 why so glum, chum? Is what I read in a bubblegum uh, packet once. Everything just seems like it's, I don't know, flying apart. I thought we were going to get to, you know, take a nice long break over the summer. Maybe do one of them greatest hits uh, meetings where we just, you know, run through some of the like funny japes and gags that we've had over the last year or two. So many japes. So many gags. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, the city hall just keeps churning out the things that we need to uh, we need to consider. Yeah. And 
Yeah. And the latest is really, it's not enjoyable. I don't think for anybody who's working at city hall or on city council, uh, we kind of always knew this day was going to come. There has been a formal complaint lodged with the integrity commissioner against Tarina Shaw, the counselor for ward seven. Uh, oh, they, I, took, I took a note on this. Uh, says re counselor Shaw. Who boy. That's, all that's, that's a pretty, pretty insightful uh, insight you've got there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So this uh, letter to the integrity commissioner was signed by 47 people. And I know from social media that there were at least another 47 who wanted to co-sign on to this, who didn't get to sign it the first time. They are citing as their concerns the January 26th council or sorry, executive committee meeting when uh, you'll remember this one. Uh, it was with regards to the uh, housing development on Broad Street. There were some like insinuations that uh, having indigenous men living in a social housing project so close to a school would be um, bad. And then on June 15th, this is the other thing they're citing is the uh, council meeting where uh, she asked a representative of Phoenix Housing about elements, people of the indigenous culture who don't want to find housing, who are wanderers. And uh, these two instances of uh, cultural insensitivity have been cited as not becoming of a city councillor and causing some harm to the indigenous community of Regina. So that uh, they made that complaint to the, to the commissioner. And uh, typically, as it turns out, if complaints are made to the integrity commissioner, they are, uh, they're confidential until a report is done. So an investigation is carried out and then a, a report is provided to council. And then during an in-camera session of executive committee, council, without the offending party present, because they have to recuse themselves, makes a decision about how to proceed. Uh, the kinds of pro- the kinds of like uh, penalties that council can dole out are uh, they can take the person off of all their committees and commissions that they're a part of. They can, you know, demand that they provide an apology. Um, Things like that. So slap, I don't want to say slap on the wrist because these are unprecedented in the history of Regina City Council. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the group, however, that uh, sent in this complaint, they're asking for Councillor Shaw to be removed from council. At a press conference today upstairs in uh, the Darling Hinks uh, meeting room, the interim city clerk, uh, Amber Ackerman said that uh, that's not within city council's power. They can't actually remove a sitting councillor right. from their post. Only the minister can do that in you know a very extreme, egregious cases of um, of malfeasance. This has apparently happened in the past with rural municipalities and some other you know smaller municipalities in Saskatchewan, where you know impropriety, uh, financial impropriety, has been uncovered, and so right. you know entire councils have even been like you know disbanded by the minister. But yeah, so in this case. If it just stays at the council level, the most that they can do is demand the person give an apology and sort of take them away from a lot of their official duties. So yeah, that that happened. So this is all fairly new. And then today, just before we got together to uh, 
to do this meeting, I received a press release from Regina Treaty Status Indian Services Incorporated, uh, along with File Hills Capel uh, Tribal Council and the uh, Federation of Sovereign Indigenous Nations. They're responding to the mayor's apology. Can I, uh, can I guess that the, I'm going to make, take a stab at what the press release says. Go. Uh, we heard the mayor's apology. That's good enough for us. <laughs> hey, ho, Tarina Shaw, you keep doing you, girl. Is that, is that what the press release says, roughly? Well, kind of no. Kind of oh. no. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, okay. Um, I misread the situation there. Yeah, you kind of did. Um, yeah, so the mayor did apologize for um, Councillor Shaw's comments about Indigenous people not wanting to find homes at the June 29th council meeting. Uh, and apparently, and I did not know this until this press release, she actually met with Erica Bodin, the person that uh, Councillor Shaw was saying that she had spoken to and heard about this cultural practice from. Uh, Erica Bodin, guest of uh, the Queen City Improvement Bureau from several months ago. Indeed. And yeah, yeah, works with uh, RTSIS. Um, so the mayor did apologize directly to the File Hill Capel uh, Council and to uh, Erica, to Ritsis, to FSIN directly. And in this press release, they, you know, they thank the mayor for this. They believe that the mayor's uh, apology was genuine. Uh, they they aren't so uh, cool with how things have been going. However, with uh, Councillor Shaw, they, uh, as we mentioned before, Erica had attempted to reach out to uh, Tarina Shaw after these incidents and said, let's see, get together. Uh, Councillor Shaw said, I'll only do it with a lawyer present and then canceled the meeting. So, um, yeah, uh, in the wake of all of this and the fact that Councillor Shaw has not as yet, to my knowledge, released an apology. She's only made sort of a statement about this in the media. Uh, uh, for CTV, for instance, uh, Councillor Shaw said uh, that, uh, about these pe- homeless people who don't want housing. My concern is that we need to address people that don't want to be in a home. Rapid housing isn't going to fit and help the people that don't want to be in homes. And if that is an issue, and if we have that in our city, uh, if that's, let's say, 10% of the population that's homeless, then we need to address that, Councillor Shaw said to CTV, which did not really, it's not really an apology and it didn't really address the concern. So Erica Bodan in this press release indicates that she will be submitting her own formal complaint to the integrity commissioner. So this is two now that mm-hmm. will be going in against Councillor Shaw. So one from earlier this uh, from Monday morning and another one today we're recording on Tuesday. So Tuesday afternoon, there'll be a second. The way the process works, there is an investigation that the integrity commissioner will conduct. The integrity commissioner has 30 days to present a report to council. Then council has 30, no, sorry, I lied, not 30 days, 90 days. Oh, even, yeah, even more or days. Yeah, that's different. Uh, so 90 days from receiving the complaint until the integrity commissioner has to present a report, and then another 90 days before council, absolutely, that's their deadline to have a response. So that's we could be waiting six months before this is all resolved because everything the integrity commissioner does is... Uh, confidential until the report is written. So it could be three months till we get a report, another three months before we know how this all ends. Right. So this is where we are. Uh, well, my we, guess, I, I have, I have a guesses about, uh, about Council Shaw's uh, strategy here. 
uh, because it could be she is playing indeed uh, the fabled 4D chess. Um, I think she's perhaps she's either been waiting for the right moment to deliver an apology so heartfelt and so sincere and just at the right moment that everybody will feel very ashamed that we ever questioned her integrity. That's one thing. And the other thing is maybe, maybe, maybe she's looking for one of those wanderers to say, look, they exist, but it's tough (laughs) because they wander. And it's, it's weird. Like if you, if you can't find them, either it means that they're wandering too much or it means that Trina Shaw just kind of made them up like in her head and they don't exist either way. She's never going to stop. She's going to keep looking for those wanderers, uh, but not in people's homes because they don't want to live in homes. That yeah. is what I hear. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm. My concern is that I, I think your first thing about like providing, like offering up an apology at this point uh, could elicit an awful lot of sympathy. Uh, my concern is actually that like, instead of, um, you know, exposing Councillor Shaw, for you know the awfulness that she has demonstrated that uh her her residents like a large chunk of her residents might feel bad for her for being run through the mill on this and that she could mm-hmm. play the i'm being cancelled card for asking questions as, as so many right-wing politicians have done yeah and that could you know that could like scrounge up like a whole bunch more votes for her in the next election mm-hmm. whether she runs for council or if she even runs for the sask party nomination uh tries to run uh provincially the whole i've been canceled narrative is very compelling for a subsection of uh, conservative voters so i don't know how this is going to play out does it does give some of the unsavory people on the right fodder in the culture wars uh, but I think, um, and I think asking for her to be unseated, probably, I mean, I knew as soon as I heard it, I'm like, they, they, they can't do that. Yeah. Like, unless she's stealing, that's yeah. never going to happen. Um, so I, I would say that like actually just asking for an actual apology and limited, severely limited responsibilities. Cause I don't want our future to be in the hands of somebody who believes that, uh, single indigenous men are predators yeah. and I don't want our future to be in the hands of somebody who rather than tackling real issues uh, ends up chasing this like fantasy that that makes that like suits suit some need of her own rather than the, the, the needs of constituents yeah I don't like I, it. yeah the, and I, I'm a little concerned too because there are these like two instances that are being focused on here there haven't just been two instances. Uh, I've like started to compile. I've never felt the need to compile a folder of like egregious behavior by a counselor during council meetings. And I'm, I've got one on Councillor Shaw. There's the time that she, uh, you know, said that her, her fellow counselors didn't deserve her respect because they're only wearing masks when the cameras are on. And, uh, there was the time where she said that uh, she f- she was offended that we're asking people to wear masks on buses because it doesn't make her feel welcome now that she's chosen to stop wearing them. And then I can't I, like I can't even repeat the questions that she asked during the conversion therapy ban because some of it was so cringe inducing. Mm-hmm. So there's 
there's there never seems to be an end. And even if we get an apology and even if we get like some good behavior, which, you know, she's been pretty quiet and pretty well be like, God, I hate to say it like this. She's been well behaved at council. <laughs> but she has been. She hasn't really said anything terrible. Mm-hmm. I thought some of her questions around public transit were actually pretty good the last time that uh, she spoke on this. Um, but is we just know, like, from history, it's a matter of time before Trina yeah. Shaw says something horrible again. Yeah, and I think, I'm, I'm not sure whether whether people should be turfed from office because they have, because they're kind of suck. Yeah. <laughs> not, to, not, not, to, not to be, not to be, I mean, if, if they're, if they're criminals, then I, I can see it. I, I just don't see, I mean, I don't know. I would, I would rather, I would rather Trina Shaw when she apologized earlier, like for example, when she turned her head around on the conversion ban issue. Yeah. I, I kind of wish that she would take the larger lessons from these things and not act seemingly out of half formed opinion. And frankly, I, bruised ego half the time yeah I mean, that's i think that's one of the issues i i honestly I, I i just i just wish we were not in this position in the first place yeah but yeah we, Get, if this stops it would be nice well, because we could then focus on other things uh because we you know this is taking our eye off the ball of things such as like it was only counselor landon mole who still voted to to not impose a conversion therapy ban? Like Councillor Shaw turned around on right. that one and voted mm-hmm. with the majority. Councillor Mole stuck it out, and somehow the things that he said and what he stood up for have been kind of like lost in all of the theatrics of the uh, Trina Shaw story. So right, yeah, and I think I think perhaps Shaw's voting record should be ultimately the thing that counts the most. Although right. some of the stuff she says really. It's not just in poor taste. It is simply, it introduces toxic ideas in, into the atmosphere. Uh, and she should know better. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, we're on 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio. We're the Queen City Improvement Bureau. And speaking of things that the Trina Shaw debacle is taking our mind off of. The Shabacle? The Shabacle. I love that. Shabacle. That's genius. Oh, good. It's better. It's better than me waffling around about Trina Shaw for 10 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, going on as well as the Shabakle is, dude, we're getting a, an arena in the downtown. Woo. It looks like. Yeah. Oh, so good. Can't, I can't wait for an arena, a 10,000 seat arena in the downtown. Yeah. So just very briefly, we actually have a hour long interview with uh, real CEO Tim Reed up on the Queen City Improvement Bureau website, queencityib.com. It ran as a special exclusive online podcast episode uh, that you can download on our website or subscribe to through any of the podcatching things out there. Uh, What's happening is real ran a committee that made some recommendations about how to go forward with downtown development. It was supposed to be talking about just whether or not we should, what should we do about uh, Brant Center? We need a Brant Center too, they're saying. What should we do with it? Where should we put it? This committee came back and said, let's put it downtown. Not in the yards, 
not in the real district, but right freaking downtown. And it's on a secret location. There were apparently three locations downtown that they considered. All three are secret. They've recommended one saying it's the best, but we don't get to find out where it is. Council, instead of telling us where this is supposed to be happening, they've decided to strike a catalyst project committee starring Tim Reed from Real and Councillor Robert Hawkins. Whoa. And they're going to be looking at this arena project in the context of these other catalyst projects, which again, this committee, this non-council committee identified a bunch of catalyst projects, which includes an aquatic facility. So, and it will be a replacement for the Lawson. And this committee, this, this mystery committee uh, recommended the yards for the aquatic center. Mm-hmm. They said we need a, a fake turf. What do you call it? An artificial turf. Soccer Astro pitch. Turf. Yeah. yeah. There was also a report about the need for an, uh, an artificial turf, uh, high performance baseball field. So that's also hmm. going to be in the mix. So okay. soccer, baseball, aquatics, arena for hockey, and mon- like this arena for downtown will be uh, hockey, monster trucks, uh, powwows. What else do they hold? A concerts, all sorts of stuff. And then uh, they're also like they even like they might even throw in like a pickleball facility as well. So that would be the one oh, thing that 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 could make it work for me. Pickleball. Yeah. Oh, and the library. That was the last one. The, the main branch of the library needs to be either rejuvenated or, or uh, replaced. And so this is the other catalyst project. Mm. So this committee will be looking at all these catalyst projects. End of the year, they're coming back with their terms of reference. Um, I don't know. I like I have heard rumors about a downtown arena, but I always thought what they meant was, you know, the rail yards, because that's right. what everybody had been talking about. So I thought that counted as downtown, but this committee says, yeah, no, it's it's better for the city. If we put arena downtown, because that will get the most vibrancy for our, for our dollar. So anyways, so, so let's, let's look at other arenas in the, in this city. Well, let, let's look at mosaic stadium mm-hmm. and let's the find thrill a dome, the thrill Mosaic stadium. Right. So when, when there are, when there are games or concerts or whatever, it's vibrant inside the arena, but the only vibrancy outside the arena is the vibrancy of people looking for their cars or their buses back to their cars. Yeah. It's this notion that people are going to spill out of the arena and like, I don't know, be vibrant, uh, maybe go shopping or to a restaurant. Um, maybe I can see a bar or two filling up after, after a game of something, but I don't understand what, what else is going to happen. Anything, a 10,000 seat arena has to go somewhere. If it's going to be downtown, it's going to displace other real estate, possibly some of that empty or perpetually struggling retail stuff or, or office tower stuff. So, it's going to move stuff around and it will turn it will turn part of the downtown into like an arena blast zone. And uh, yeah. And then we get to pay for it. So what a, what a joy. Yeah. I I would love it if this were something I could get behind, but it sounds terrible. Yeah. I think there's actually a lot of research to suggest that uh, arenas don't have the kind of sort of placemaking bang for their buck that we think they do, that things like libraries, 
like residential, like grocery stores, uh, do a far better job of animating uh, a place than an arena, which, you know, even by Tim Reed's own admission, this arena will be booked half of the year. The rest of the mm-hmm. time, it's going to be empty. Well, um, a, or, you know, when, setting up for a show. Will it have a roof? If it Because that sounds like a roofless arena to me. Or perhaps roof ready at, at best. Yeah. No, it will. It will have a roof. I think there's like the, the issue of you can't like back. You can't have back to back shows in there every single day that you need like set up and tear oh, down time. Okay, not seasonal. I, I see what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, I think I think when you look at sort of things that will revitalize uh, a neighborhood, even even a one with fairly low residents, like like say a downtown, I think it will be more interesting to say, well, what do the people who actually live there? What do actual residents? need on a regular basis because that's what makes a place vibrant yeah not not an arena which is going to pull people in from across the city and then they then they like you know listen to something then they pee there then then maybe they go to a bar at best but they probably won't and just go back home yeah if if you can convince people from the suburbs to even come downtown because they don't like downtown in the first place yeah I think the the typical way that we develop stuff like this is that we build surface parking to service it. Um, Mm -hmm. I would hope that structured parking will be something that is considered, but um, I'm not convinced that structured parking will be the sole parking solution. I'm sure that, that a lot of the surface, this will only serve to ensconce the surface parking that we have downtown as like in park, uh, you know, opens up their doors opens up their parking doors to uh, cars who need places to park when they come to events downtown. It'll only make parking more profitable and will serve to make it more difficult, I think, to develop lots around the stadium or the arena, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, structured parking. I mean, there used to be more structured parking downtown here, but it was was torn down. Um, I, I think people in Regina don't, I think they're wary of structured parking. And they prefer the large open parking lots because, you know, the enclosed buildings of cars makes them, oh, what's going to happen? It seems like from, an eco, from a point of view of what's cheaper to make and what people are used to in the city, more, par- more surface parking is probably the, what would happen. You know, we should probably put a pin in this, go to our uh, recorded uh, innovative revenue tools and come back and talk some more about this because I think... Uh, there's a ton more to discuss about this proposed downtown arena. Oh. And we're back from Innovative Revenue. Ooh. Wow, you're back? Yeah. Man, I was I was dozing off a little bit. So oh, thank you. I'm for, sorry. That's all right. I mean I, I I'm very busy these days, so I need to get my sleep in where I can. I understand. Hey, while those were playing. You mentioned, uh, you know, the, the forecasting tools that they use to predict how these things are going to work out for a city. Um, yeah, like, what do you know about these things? Uh, offhand, um, okay, <laughs> I, I kind of wish I, I kind of wish I'd uh, I looked this up before before mentioning it, but uh, I, I do know that for large stadiums uh, throughout throughout uh, what's its face um, throughout North America. There's a generally a standard model used, which is yeah. it's even given a name because uh, it's a proprietary product. 
And what it does is it calculates the economic output uh, of of you know stadiums. I mean, I think yeah. often applied to large thirty thousand plus seat arenas, but I'm sure it can be used for smaller ten thousand seat arenas. And as has been pointed out many times, it's a black box. People don't really know. Like people don't know the exact like you know map that goes on between the inputs and the outputs yeah. uh, for this. And also they're based on, frankly, sort of dubious things like, you know, oh, think about all these, you know, tertiary economic effects, which sound good, but I think there are many, many variables that can cancel out or reverse or otherwise affect, you know, these, you know, knock on economic effects. Like, oh, look, there'll be all this, like people going to restaurants, but will they? Yeah. They, it's it's just assumed, right? It's it's economics at its at its most foolish and optimistic. Yeah, I remember from the uh, the debate about the stadium, the new Mosaic Stadium. Uh, one of these was used, and I, you know, I remember reading about how these things. When it, when a city goes and asks, "Will this stadium make us lots of money?" They never come back saying, "Well, actually, no. You should probably rethink this and do something else with your cash." They always come back and say, "Oh yeah, no stadium, awesome idea, <laughs> billions of dollars." In this case, uh, we we haven't we have a black box inside a black box on this one because we don't actually know where in the downtown they're proposing this arena go. So we know we only know that they've done these calculations and that they've been done by a third party consultant using proprietary modeling. Mm-hmm. But we can't check. We can't even check their work against another model because. It's at a location nobody knows about. Only the people on the committee and the people on council, and they've all been, you know, they've all signed NDAs and they can't tell us where this is. um, Tim Reed, who I almost called Councillor Reed, which should say something about the impact that he's having on the city right now. He talked about how there's this thing called a tax lift that you get with putting an arena downtown and it presumably, according to him, will increase the property value of properties around the arena, which I find dubious uh, logic at best. That's not just dubious. That is incorrect. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be charitable and say okay. that's just, they, they're getting their, it, it's, well, it's a lie. Okay. Yeah. It's actually just, it's, it's nonsense. Yeah. Like these things do not, we've like, you, all you have to do is look at any, any of these like structures and then look at the surrounding neighborhoods and you know exactly what happens to property values and neighborhoods so yeah. like in, in the immediate vicinity. Yeah. We, I asked him then about uh, the property value of the land that this arena was going to go on, because if the downtown plan were to come to fruition, you know, we're supposed to be developing our downtown with residential, with retail, with office, with a grocery store. And that's where we're supposed to be generating our vibrancy from. It occurred to a lot of people that if you put an arena on a chunk of land downtown, that will then become city-owned land and will not be uh, Mm. paying property tax at all that an apartment tower on that land would. Right. So I asked him about that and he said, oh, well, our model took that into consideration. Mm -hmm. But of course, we can't see the numbers because this is all part of this uh, undisclosed location, this secret data that they haven't shared with the public yet. 
but I also did ask, well, is this the property tax that would be paid on that site if it was undeveloped or a surface parking lot or whatever it is now, or if it is, you know, a fully developed site as envisioned by the downtown plan? And his response was that it was the assumption they made was the land as it is now. So hmm. it's it's a little frustrating because we have so little actual information apart from this is going to rule. This is the, that's the information <laughs> we have. Right. And we have, you know, anybody can ask all the questions they want, but the earliest we're going to hear anything about this and get any answers to these questions in the general public is the end of the year. And I kind of think that by that point with this much effort poured into it by, you know, this committee, this arena planning committee, uh, by real and their administration and by our administration and by our city council, by the time they've poured, however, like, you know, this is going to be well over a year that they'll pour it into this. Uh, the train's going to be a rolling and any sort of quibbling over location and, or even just whether or not we should be doing this right now, will get, you know, bowled over by this, this this steam train of a downtown arena that we've had proposed to us. Ah, another thing that came up. So the committee, the committee that made this decision. Well, sorry, it's not a decision; it's a recommendation. But it consisted of uh, the real uh, director, the board of directors director. So the position that Mayor Masters used to hold at Real, uh, they were on it. Tim Reed was on this board. Sandra Masters, our mayor, was on it. Uh, the real board chair was on it. Uh, City of Regina administration had a representative in the form of Ken Monrate. Uh, the EDR Regina was on the board. The Regina Minor Hockey was on the, the committee. Uh, another EDR member, the Warehouse District, uh, their board had a member. The Downtown BID had a member on there. The Hotel Association, the... I don't know who that is because that's a mistake because it says here that Neil Donnelly is also the City of Regina mayor. So Neil Donnelly was on this committee, uh, somebody else from Real, somebody else from Warehouse, somebody from the Chamber of Commerce, and uh, three more representatives from Real. So that was the committee that was on this, that did arena planning. Uh, like a lot of these names are, are, you should know, like Jason Carlston, who works at Dream, is on the Warehouse District Board. He uh -huh. was also a former uh, planning director at the City of Regina. The one that I flagged almost immediately was Roseanne Hill Blaisdell. Uh, was there as a real board of director member. She is part of the Hill family and part of the Harvard family of businesses. I look at this list of people who are on this committee. It's a lot of familiar names. It's the same old people making decisions about the downtown after we had a year-long consultation about what our downtown should be like that made the foundation of the downtown neighborhood plan. We had another right. year where we made the official community plan. At no point was an arena downtown part of what the, you know, the Regina community was discussing. Instead of getting a downtown, instead of getting you know, a fully implemented official community plan, we got Mosaic Stadium, which came with a whole bunch of promises like a walking promenade to downtown and connectivity with, to downtown. Uh, did they promise to have like another smaller arena downtown? No, they never did. No, they just were going to give us a walking path to so downtown. It, so it sounds to me like they're going above and beyond. Like they're surely once this happens, <laughs> then they will actually get around to all the other things they promised. Yeah, we're getting a baby yeah. stadium. Maybe that's it. Maybe maybe Mosaic is a uh, maybe Mosaic uh, Taylorfield is is actually pregnant and and we're, we're, they have. To, have to give birth to a baby stadium and that 
baby stadium has to go somewhere. Yeah, and it's got to be close to his mom. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a really good point that I didn't consider. I mean... Now you make me feel like an That's right. <laughs> that's right. I, you hate a baby, Paul. You hate, yeah. you hate a baby stadium. That's no, just, what I hate is, is that a bunch of promises were made to get a stadium through. And the promises of like all this stuff for everybody who doesn't go to the stadium never happened. Same thing happened with the plaza. Mm-hmm. We were promised a beautiful downtown, but first we're going to build a plaza. But we swear the plaza isn't the whole thing. There's a whole downtown plan. All we got was a freaking plaza. Ooh, and we barely even got that, frankly. Yeah. And the same gang are promising us a vibrant downtown and a whole like, you know, economic engine right in the core of our city in the form of an arena. And then a whole bunch of other things they're promising us. And I'm like, finish a job first, you know, follow through on a thing before you start promising us another freaking moon. So, so what just, just, just floating this idea. What, what if the same gang of people that have been Mm. trading around the same idea for, what feels like a decade now and probably longer. What if they actually have no other ideas or any other sort of way of knowing how to cause growth? Maybe their ideas about growth and and urban development stop at giving massive amounts of money to property developers and construction. And after that, they they just kind of go to sleep for a while, maybe in little pods. And then they're they're sort of like, you know, decanted or, you know, uh, thawed out again after a while when they can say, oh, how about how about another stadium? I think you've sorted it out. I'm I'm just I'm just floating this idea that our our our, like our, our urban landscape is in the hands of people who have no idea how to actually make livable urban landscapes at all. Yeah. It's interesting how often they go back to sports facilities. Right. Right. Even though the people who live downtown have like very little interest. Yeah. Yeah. They seem to want to like, you know, so much money has been poured into real over the generations. Uh, So much money has been poured into the football stadium. Now we're getting an arena an aquatics facility, a soccer field. They even talked about including us a cricket pitch. And I'm like, have you played cricket? You can't combine cricket with baseball in one facility. It's not going to work. Um. They, they threw in the library as a sop to the, like the people with glasses. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hey, inside kids, how about a library? Yeah, but yeah, I think it, 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 it feels like it's a bunch of people who really like watching sports, who have control over how the city is going to develop. Mm-hmm. And the only idea they have is, well, I like sports. Lots of people like sports. Sports. Yeah. Right. That's their whole notion of a public life is people sitting inside their homes all day until it cuts time for them to take their cars out of their, you know, two car garages, drive somewhere, watch the sports, and then get back in their cars and go home where they can play call of duty or, you know, watch HBO max. I don't know, but yeah, yeah, it it is, it is a, it is a crabbed and reduced idea of, of public engagement and, and public being. Anyways, we're on 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio. We're the Queen City Improvement Bureau. We still have a mountain of stuff to get through. And this meeting is like three quarters over. Well, so let's 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 do uh, let's let's climb that mountain in 15 minutes. Okay. 
One thing very related to density happened at council. You'll remember from like last year, there was the market No, it was like the density for market choice of housing report was requested by councillors Brashani, Mole, and Hawkins. And they wanted bigger houses on bigger lots because we don't want to lose people to Emerald City and White City or whatever they're called, Emerald Park and White City. The city came back with, the administration came back with their response. Their response was basically, no, let's keep our 50 person per hectare density target. But if there are some certain edge cases, neighborhoods that can't be built to that standard, can't be complete communities under the official community plan, we will allow council to exercise their discretion and approve projects that don't fit our density targets. But only if they they live up to these criteria of not being able. They mentioned there's like one neighborhood they identified that's next to the Jeannie Goulet golf course that for some reason is in a location in the city that can only have big houses on big lots. There's no way you can put anything else there. Yeah. I mean, it's probably on some kind of like magical ley line. And if yeah. they have small houses, too much density, too much psychic power will be drawn into the ley line. And, uh, and evil they'll get spirits. sucked into the Feywild. Right, exactly. Yeah. And then evil spirits will take their places. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a whole thing. Bad news is oh, what no. we're talking about here. So Bad fortunately, news. this passed, uh, this recommendation to, uh, give, to allow council this kind of discretion. Well, first of all, Councillor Stadnichuk pointed out, we're basically making policy based on an exception. We shouldn't be making policy based on exceptions. Mm-hmm. Councillor Zakidniak pointed out that even if, and administration confirmed this, if a rec- if if an application comes forward to get an exemption under this policy, and administration doesn't like it, but it goes to council, council can approve it, even though administration says don't go for it. Council's going to be able to like you know use their full discretion. So could go through administration, administration could say no, could go to planning commission, planning commission could say no, but council could look at it and say, we have discretion, we're going to use it. Uh, Councilor Zakidniak's point was that this gives, you know, council the freedom. It's This is the loophole. They now have the freedom to violate the official community plan whenever they want. All somebody has to do mm-hmm. is make an application under this policy. But Everybody assured them, no, 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 no. There are all these layers of protection. It has to go through administration, has to go through planning commission, has to go through council. There's all these, all these layers of defense against the official community plan being slowly eroded. I'm not convinced. I've seen council make boneheaded decisions and violations of its own policies all the freaking time. Uh, The condo conversions way back in the late 2000s are a really good example. And then I'm sure I could find more more recently. But anyways. The, the, the point of this debate that I thought we should take a quick look at, it's a little two-minute clip, Councillor Brashani, she supported this. She was one of the engineers of this whole thing coming forward. If you have any doubts that Brashani won't continue to try and chip away at the official community plan, I think this little clip will, uh, will convince you that indeed she is going to continue chipping away to the official community plan. So here is Councillor Brashani speaking about her reasons for wanting this exemption to go through. The other question, I guess, point that I'd like to make is that I've heard it today and I've heard it previously. We want dense neighborhoods. 
when is the last time we've actually gone out to those dense neighborhoods, the Greens on Gardner, the towns, and Harbour Landing, and asked them, do you like living in those dense neighborhoods? It's easy for us to sit here because we don't live in the dense neighborhoods, but they do. How about we go out, when we do the OCP, will we be going out to these neighborhoods and asking how the density and how is their quality of life and how has that affected any of this? I think that's a, it's a very important question. So when we look at little shoebox, square little lots, and people, the reason they want community gardens is because they got a little family and they can't have a little garden in their, even their yard. Sometimes I think we've lost our way. I'm all for sustainability, absolutely. There's many other ways to be sustainable. Large, larger homes can put solar panels. Most of those larger homes are more energy efficient. The last point I wanna make is, and I've heard this many times, is that single family homes don't pay their way. My residents in Ward 4 pay close to $30 million in property taxes. So if we don't pay our way, then I'm sorry. There's a miscalculation somewhere. We pay for other services in the city, their pools, our walkways, our transit. So if someone here today can tell me that a single family owner is not paying their way, they are all for sustainability. And it's, a, it's time that we actually create options for everybody, the low income, the single family, all of it. Okay. Okay. Let me, let, let me get this straight. First off, first off the, there's the, how do we know that this is actually giving people good quality of life? And then assuming that they're living in little shoebox lots and they're crying out for like gardens. And then, and then to top it off, just, just going to make up some, like some like imaginary slight against her constituents. And try and use that to like, I don't know what to say to any of that, Paul. That was, why this like nonsense? Why not just be, just, why not just say, I, I don't like small lots and I'm just utterly prejudiced against them. So that's me. Like, just say that. And then we can get on with our lives. I wish she would. <laughs> um, uh I loved Prashani's number. Her close to close to thirty million dollars in property taxes from her ward. They're they're carrying her her ward. They're carrying the rest of the city on on their backs with their with all the pools and walkways that we enjoy. Um, She's not going to stand for imaginary insults against them. We have ten wards, each of roughly the same size and population as all the others. Ward four, and I'm pretty sure that if Ward 4 is only paying $29, $30 million in property taxes, the city's property tax revenue is considerably more than $300 million. (laughs) If they're only paying $30 million a year in property taxes, they are not paying their share. So she's right. They're not paying their share. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think she was responding to some, some internet gadfly posted a map that was in the city's uh, archive uh, that showed what each like little sort of like region, every like little tax region in the city pays per hectare. 
So what does like, you know, sections of Arcola Park and Cathedral and North Central and, you know, out in Council Bershani's area, what do they pay per hectare in property taxes? And what it pretty clearly shows is that the downtown pays per hectare way more than anywhere else. They pay over $400,000 per hectare, while there are parts of the suburbs where they're only paying forty, fifty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 per hectare in right. property taxes. Uh, cathedral, uh, sort of like the core of cathedral where the most density is, they're paying like $75,000 per hectare property tax, which far exceeds what they're doing in the suburbs. I think that might be what she's responding to is mm. the, um, there is this, uh, argument in a lot of ur- urban planning circles that the suburbs are subsidized by the core because right. everything is so spread out there. They require so much more infrastructure that, you know, the it, it, the money has to come from somewhere and it typically comes from, you know, the property taxes that are accumulated from denser neighborhoods. So. Right. And just, just to be clear, I mean, I, I am aware of, of that argument and I figured yeah. that was probably behind the counselor's uh, sort of idea, but the idea, but how it's been posed is yeah. uh, this is, you know, as the most sort of in the most insulting, like inflammatory way possible. I mean, she might as well have said, I've heard, I've heard people say that my constituents are parasites. We're not the parasites. You're the parasites like that. That's as far uh, as yeah. that's the next step in this. In this like logic of ressentiment, yeah, uh, and and so on. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I, I suppose, I suppose, Paul, when you're sitting in in the suburbs and you're in your sort of, you know, oversized, I don't know, maybe split level if it's older, maybe McMansion if it's newer, and you have like you know, a gigantic television or whatever, you might sort of sit there and think, well, obviously I've done something to deserve these like oversized gugas and property that I'm taking up. Uh, why those downtown people are lording it over me, telling, thinking that they don't pay their way. So I'm, I'm actually just genuinely peeved now and losing the ability to be funny and coherent. Well, I've got one last item to, to oh keep boy. you there. Oh um, I mentioned that uh, with this density target, uh, exemption that there would be like three layers of defense against it being abused. In that exact same meeting, we saw those three layers of defense break down for another item. Our OCP says we can't be making more surface parking. Our downtown plan says no more surface parking. The transition plan, so the neighborhood, the city center neighborhood south of downtown, their neighborhood plan says no more surface parking. Oh, good, because in that case, we don't get any more surface parking. That's all I need to hear. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, what did happen in this case is an office building, uh, owners of an office building uh, on Scarth Street, just south of downtown, they wanted more surface parking for their office building. So they bought two houses across the street from their building. They want to tear those down, put in 13 surface parking stalls. First level of protection of the OCP administration said, yes, we recommend the surface parking. Planning commission said, yes, we recommend surface parking. And then council came through and voted in favor of surface parking for this lot. Coming through in the clutch. Yeah. If you look from the sky, the block that this is going into is already 50% surface parking. The block across the street Mm. is about 30% surface parking. The blocks just north are about 40 to 50% surface parking. Our downtown is a complete 
freaking moonscape of surface parking. If Councillor Bershani wants to erode the tax base of the core so that she can, you know, say that, you know, the core isn't paying their share. She's doing a very good job here of uh, making the, the, cent- the city center an impossible place live and work because there's going to be none of it left. It's all going to be parking lot. Well, uh, at least there'll be uh, parking for the sort of massive like events at the stadium. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so clearly they know it's coming the arena. Mm -hmm. So they've got to like level more of downtown to make way for it. (laughs) Yes. Turn this into a flat featureless windswept plane. Yeah. Yeah. It was absolutely infuriating. Our city council is just incapable of saying no to a developer (laughs) who wants a surface parking lot. Apparently. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe because the last time they said yes to anything else, it turned out it turned into the Capital Point Hole, which they also <laughs> said yes can be turned into a surface parking lot. So indeed, yeah. Well, we tried nothing, and that hasn't worked. Let's let's do even less. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, we're just about out of time. Uh, there was one big good bit of news that came out of this council meeting, and it was that a recommendation from administration to provide fair free transit to kids 13 and under was approved by council freaking unanimously. See, so, you know, that's good. Yep. Yep. You know. So that they have to write up the bylaw on that and that will be coming uh, probably next month. So by start of school, kids can go to school. So, but see, kids need to save up money so they can buy a car as soon as they turn 16 and never use transit again. Yeah. There'll be parking so, for them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, in addition to this, they will be considering uh, transit for kids eight, uh, 14 to 18 free as well. Uh, hmm. That's considerably more expensive. So they're going to be yep. considering that during the budget process. They will also be considering free transit for seniors. So, Oh, no, that, that will be interesting. Yeah. I like considerably less expensive than teens on the bus, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yep. I can, I can see that. And, uh, and a real boon for, for seniors, I think, yeah. as well. Yeah, I think we should all have free transit, but wouldn't be nice. Uh, However, there are are certain economic realities and uh, you might have to end up spending time on transit with those wanderers who don't want to live in homes, but will obviously want to sit on on the bus. Anyways, uh, we should probably uh, end this meeting. Yeah, yeah, let's move to adjourn. Well, I I move to adjourn. I second that motion. All right. Motion is passed. You have been listening to the Queen City Improvement Bureau on 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio, tuned into the community. Uh, we are broadcast uh, 7 to 8 uh, p.m. on Thursday evenings and rebroadcast Monday afternoons 3 to 4 p.m. Uh, yeah, you can also find us at uh, cjtr.ca slash podcasts. Also on our website, queencityib.com and on Twitter, queencityib. What else? All right. Coming up next, the Nerdcore Cabaret, followed by more programming the music all on through the night. That is all. Keep it classy, or keep Excellent. on improving, Regina. That's what I meant.